Hey, Savannah, did you know that if you find something and you think it's a bone, you can pick it up and lick it? And if your tongue sticks to it, it's bone. Oh, you know I'll be doing that. If if your tongue doesn't stick to it, it's rock. Because bone is porous. So oh, it's going to stick to your tongue okay. when you lick it. All right. Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Savannah. And I'm Nick. And this is Two Blunt Broads. Two Blunt Broads. Uh. And here we've got our podcast, our very first episode. Uh, we're kind of in the true crime category, but I don't think we're going to be always sticking to that. Um, Nicole and I both like just strange, unusual stories, looking into things, um, types of bitches that, you know, fall asleep to those true crime documentaries. So got that interest there. My therapist told me I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Okay. I get really concerned sometimes that, like, my obsession with true crime and paranormal means that I'm a psychopath or something. And my therapist has to remind me on pretty much a weekly basis, she's like, Nicola, the fact that you can think that you're a psychopath means you're not a psychopath. Right, exactly. So we've kind of got a theme for this episode being uh, motives. Yeah. And uh, just, I don't I haven't heard her story. She hasn't heard all of mine. Um Kind of keep it at a surprise, but it kind of sounds like we came to a similar conclusion. The story that I'm about to tell, going back to kind of the question at hand, why why do people do these terrible, awful things? I am interested in not the excuses that people make for their behavior, but the reason that they do the things that they do. Because I realize the more and more that I spend time dabbling in the true crime world, reading articles, listening to podcasts, watching documentaries. I realized the people that do the most harmful, hurtful things Penis. are the most hurt. They're uh-huh. usually the people that have received the most trauma early in their lives. They're usually the people that have been disenfranchised from the very beginning. And My therapist gave me a study the other day. She was trying to explain to me because a lot of the times I worry that my mental illness isn't warranted because I didn't, I would always say, you know, I didn't go through anything bad. Like Mm -hmm. I had a perfect normal childhood. Mm -hmm. But she brought to my attention the fact that trauma by omission. So there's trauma by commission, which is when something happens to you. Directly, yeah. That's when you usually have a big event that you can pinpoint and say, this is my trauma. Right. And then there's trauma by omission. Right. So there's trauma by not being given the love that you need or Mm -hmm. not being given the support that you need when you're developing, when your brain is developing and your relationship capability is developing in your life. Um. And trauma by omission causes more long-term effects than trauma by commission. Did not know that. So it's linked to more cases of 
severe mental disease mm-hmm. and cancer and high blood pressure and all of these diseases that are affected by your cortisol, you know? Wow. Um, so it's really, it's curious to me, like, how we can look at people that come, like Ted Bundy, for instance, mm-hmm. spent his entire life swearing up and down that he had the most normal childhood of all. Right. He had several traumas by omission. Yeah. You know, his father was actually the man that he thought was his oh god who knows who his father was but <laughs> the woman that he thought was his mother was act or the woman he thought was his sister was actually his mother oh one of those and it's thought maybe allegedly mm-hmm. that his grandfather was actually his father so he was a child of incest so he kind of repressed all of this his entire life and would be that everyone thought he was an anomaly because he had such a normal life and all these serial killers have you know this distinct um super big event usually or something mm -hmm. like that yes head trauma fever during childhood you know all that being said that's just a little backstory to jump into this. Yeah. So I'm just going to go ahead and introduce my case. I'm um, covering Jeffrey Franklin. Um, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. I don't live there now, but I grew up there. Um, I was there for about nine years in the 90s and in the early 2000s. So it wasn't really like I wasn't a formative person yet. I was about six when I lived there. Um, Well, I was six in 1998, which is when this happened. Age reveal. So I grew up in Huntsville. Uh, Lived there for nine years in the early 90s and the early 2000s. Um, I lived in a upper-class neighborhood called Cove Creek, which was over Montesana Mountain. So... I just want to start by kind of describing, like, what Huntsville is compared to, like, other cities in Alabama. It always struck me as, like, a facade, like a cardboard facade. Like, if you went to Disney World or something and they just had buildings built, but the buildings were empty and they were just there, like a set, like Mm -hmm. a movie set. Like, Mm -hmm. you could just walk up to something and blow on it and it would fall over. That's what that's what Huntsville looks like to me, architecturally, yeah. at least. Population-wise, they have a NASA base up there, so everyone is fucking wicked smart. Right. It's it's a quiet town. Have yeah. you ever been up there? I have just for the um, you know like a NASA field trip. I'm from Montgomery, Alabama, which is um, it's like directly like below Huntsville, and it's the exact opposite. It's just. You know, shout out Gumptown, Recipes Dobie, always represent Montgomery, but fuck that place. It's just gnarly, nasty. Um, but that's why I love it. You know, Trash it, it is, yeah, it's weird as hell. Like, just most insane stuff happens there. Um, keeps you on your toes. Yeah. But, like, Huntsville is, like, quiet. Yeah, like, Huntsville it, sounds like the, like, uh, <sighs> nice, nice version. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, people. nice Montgomery. Right. It feels really quiet, and uh, where we live is really chaotic Mm -hmm. in a different way. You mean currently? Currently, yeah. So um, when I was living in Huntsville in 1998, I was six years old. 
I wasn't really a formative person, um, but I read my sister's diaries a lot when I was a kid, and she was seven years older than me. So in 1998, she was like 13 years old, probably in like eighth grade. I think that's how old you are in eighth grade. Um, she might have been a freshman. Mm-hmm. And my brother and sister and um, I went to like private school, but we didn't start going to private school until they were in middle school. Before that, they'd gone to public school. But they started going to private school. Um, and I don't think from my memory of her diaries, when she was in, like, eighth or ninth grade, she hadn't really gotten into, like, edgy life quite yet. She was still doing, like, the diary entries where it was like, height, wait, favorite song today. <laughs> Does she know that uh, you read these or is she about to find out? Oh, she out? knows. Okay. No, she knows. <laughs> she knew then and hated me for it. Right. And I, I love her for it because I think that it made me realize, like, it made me aware of experiences so that I didn't have to go through them. Yeah. You know? That's what older sisters are for. That's what big sisters are for. Uh They live your life so that you don't have to go through the pain and heartbreak that they did. Um, I went through my own, though. It's okay. Yeah. Um, So most of the stuff that I remember from reading, like, the later diaries of living in Huntsville, we moved away when she was a senior in high school, the, like, teen scene there was fucking vivacious as shit. Like, the teenagers would hang out at Big Spring Park Mm -hmm. and smoke a lot of pot and do a lot of pills. So I lived in Cove Creek, like I said, a pretty Mm -hmm. affluent neighborhood over Montesano Mountain. And on the other side, south of Montesano Mountain, there's a little neighborhood with a street called Camelot Drive. It's an overwhelmingly middle-class area of Mm -hmm. Huntsville. Like, I'm talking, like, flat 70s-style houses for miles and miles and miles. There was a guy that lived there. His name was Jeffrey Franklin. Mm -hmm. He lived on a street called Camelot Drive, like I said. (laughs) already. I'm going to say it several more times. He was 17 years old and he went to Virgil Grissom, which was a public school um, in Huntsville. It's still around. It's where I took my SATs. Um, So we had a lot of friends that went to Grissom. So we knew a lot of people that were really close to this case. Mm -hmm. So I talked to a lot of people when I was researching this, trying to get a really clear picture of what Jeffrey was like when he was in school, you know, not just reading articles, but feeling it out, seeing if I knew anyone that knew him or whatnot. Right. Like I mentioned, I don't know the details of your case, but I mentioned this story vaguely to my roommate who is from Huntsville. um, And she's uh, younger than I am. uh, And she knew of it. It just seemed like a really, really big deal. It's a cult classic, for lack of a better word. And I like... I hate I hate to say that, but that's what it is mm-hmm. because it's such It's a shocking story for the It's a area. shocking story f- yeah. for a quiet, sleepy little right. middle class town. But the more people that I talked to and I'd be like, Yo, are you from Huntsville? They'd be like, No, why? I'd tell them about the case. They'd be like, No way. 
that happened in Montgomery. Like, oh, everything happens in Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's shocked. Whereas that happened in Mobile. Like, this is, I think every town has this story. Yeah. So, on with the story. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey lived at 13005 Camelot Drive with his mom, Cynthia, and his dad, Gerald. He had four younger siblings. Um, His sister, Sarah, was 14. His brother, Timothy, was eight. His brother, Christopher, was six. And his other sister, Stacy, was um, 11. They were a overwhelmingly normal middle-class family. They were super Catholic. Um, They were really active in their church. Uh, All their kids did extracurriculars. Um, So... This could have been, like, textbook my family. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, down here in the South, this is, like, regular, very regular stuff for us. Active in the church, you know, that's um, that's just the norm for those listening, not not in the Bible Belt. (laughs) Not in the Bible Belt. Yeah, that's another huge factor of this case is we are in the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. Like, and it, it plays in... And a lot of the elements later on. Um, but I want to paint a little picture of what old, old Jeff was like based off of what I kind of gathered from research, from reading. I got a lot of my information from AL.com, um, which is like the source of news in Alabama. Yeah, <laughs> It's like the only place is. that publishes anything. I was shocked that this was never like nationwide news right. ever yeah. when it happened. Like I couldn't find any sources outside of the mm-hmm. state that wrote about it. But um, he was 17. He was a junior at Grissom. Um, he was on a lot of meds. I'm mm-hmm. going to start there because he'd been, um, he was a problem child. I think he was causing a lot of issues for his parents um, his mom's colleague is quoted as saying that his mother told um, him, the colleague Paul Noel, she worked at a nursing home, um, that Jeffrey was out of hand, but she claimed that it was just a passing phase. A pastor, not a pastor. I don't know why the article said pastor. They're Catholic. It was a fucking priest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A priest apparently um, came forward and said that um, she had come to him, the mother had come to him as well, being concerned um, with Jeffrey. And uh, she she was just convinced that this was just something that he was going through. And, you know, he— she took him to a doctor. She tried her darndest. Mm-hmm. Um, she took him to a doctor and got him diagnosed. He was diagnosed with ADHD. And their family doctor prescribed him Ritalin, Klonopin, and Prozac. Now, I have been on a That's lot a combo. of drugs yeah. in my life. I've been prescribed a lot of drugs, and mm-hmm. I've recreationally taken a lot of drugs. Yep. That is a fuck of a combination. Yeah, especially the Ritalin and the Klonopin. I mean, you're just speedballing every day, like... Yeah, with Usually benzos, they try not to do that. Like, when I tried to come off of benzos, like, cold turkey, I lost my goddamn mind. I thought that my life was going to end... And not because I wanted it to, just because I thought I was going to fucking die. Mm-hmm. So to think that this kid who was prescribed all of these medications had figured out a way to 
get into the safe that his mother kept them in because bless her fucking heart, she was trying her hardest. Like yeah. imagine having a kid like this that there's just causing all these problems. Dealing I haven't even doses for him and everything. Yeah. yeah. I haven't even gotten into like what he was like as a kid yet. Right. But like he was a problem child. And mm-hmm. that's all I need to say. He was an edgelord in the nineties. Yeah. yeah. And you can imagine an edgelord in the nineties is a cyclone of just mm-hmm. um but he was, he'd figured out how to take the pins out of the safe that she kept the medicine in. And he would replace the pills with sugar tablets mm-hmm. and he'd crush them up and he'd snort them. So he was snorting like nine or 10 Ritalin at a time. Oh. Um, and he would stay up for days on end. Um, his classmates from Grissom, there's a lot of quotes from AL.com from them. One of his classmates, Jenny Smith, said he was really, he was a really, uh, smart and nice person up until two years ago. He just changed into a different person. I don't know why. His attitude was different. He was always in a bad mood and he had a really short temper. Mm-hmm. She went on to describe an incident during a discussion about God in their government class in which he had convinced her that he worshiped the devil. Sounds edgelordy. It sounds like me when I was 17. Like, it sounds like a sped up teenager just trying to get some shock out of someone. Right. I was also going to say lack of sleep. I mean, that does so much more than you think. I'm sure many of you know. Yeah. Um, Really affects your mind. Another one of his classmates, Mark Dunham, said um, that he would threaten to put spells on people. And yet another classmate, Adam Slayers, Sailors. I'm sorry if you guys are listening to this and I said your name wrong or if you went to Grissom and you know these people. Um, But they put it out there on AL.com, so that's on them. Um, (laughs) But this guy, Adam, said that he frequently spoke about taking drugs, mainly his Ritalin. Um, I grew up ADHD. I am ADHD, and when you first start taking medication, it really, really does change your attitude, and it changes your outlook on life, and it changes the way that you present to other people. So I'm not surprised that his classmates saw the shift in him. Right. Like, especially being just a kid and your brain being so malleable. Yeah, I mean, I could go on about um, prescribing children or, you know, really young people ADHD medication, but we'll save that for another time. But Yeah, um, that could be it, a that, whole episode on. Yeah, so. seriously, we should just talk about uh, prescription drugs at some point. <laughs> yeah, I think that, yeah, I tried, I put a note in here actually in this document says don't get on a tangent because I'm going to bring it up <laughs> later. But um, I have some serious issues with prescribing children narcotics. Yes. Um, and it's done. A lot. Okay. No tangent. It's right. Okay. No tangent. <laughs> um, there are two different versions of the story. The first one is that a neighbor noticed one of the children of the Franklin family laying outside in a puddle of blood and called the police. Mm-hmm. When the police arrived, they assumed they were responding to one injured child. Um, and so they only brought one squad car and one ambulance. Um once they kind of got into the house, they realized things were a lot worse. Yeah. The other version of the story, and this is the one that I was told growing up, was that one of my sister, who I love's best friend, 
who I love like a sister because she's known me since I was born, mm-hmm. one of her friends. So this is of my sister's friend's friend. Right. Was going over to the Franklin house to ask if Stacy, who is the 11 year old, mm-hmm. could come over to play. Um, now she was wearing a scarf. She knocked on the door and Jeffrey answered the door without a shirt on, covered in blood, tried to Yikes. strangle her with her scarf, uh-huh. and she slipped out, ran back home, and her parents called the police. So that's what I grew up hearing. And I read one article that cited it that way. I read several other articles that cited a neighbor seeing a blood-covered child in the front yard and calling the police. Uh So who knows what happened? I did not want to re-traumatize the woman that supposedly this happened to, so I didn't reach out to her. The scarf girl? Scarf girl. Right. Yeah. Um, I did not want to... um, Yeah, ask about that. Ask about that. Um... Yeah, we may be blunt broads, but uh, we're not going to be too blunt, especially when it comes to these kind of sensitive topics, of course. We're not going to be blunt bitches. Blunt bitches, yeah. Only, uh, you know, maybe, sometimes. Maybe sometimes. Not, not in these <laughs> scenarios. So inside the house, the first responders found Cynthia and Gerald dead on the scene, while Sarah, Timothy, and Christopher were all rushed to Huntsville Hospital in critical condition. Mm. He had attacked his family with a two-pound mallet, a hatchet. Yeah. A hatchet, a rat tail file, which is a long, skinny piece of metal that you use to, like, file down metal. You're going to have to tell me what that is. You're going to have to explain (laughs) that one. Um, So when I say mallet, I mean, like, sledgehammer, Mm -hmm, too. Right, Like, a big-ass... He... Yeah. Um... And a butcher's knife, too, just mm. to throw that in there. He had to really get the whole out of the way. Um, one of the sisters was at dance practice, and I cannot imagine how she felt, how yeah. she feels, oh, wow. how she has to feel. Yeah. Um, there's a quote from Terry Bryson, who was a spokesperson from Huntsville Hospital, that said um, all the children had very serious head and face injuries from what looked like an axe and some sort of large blunt force object. So they all were deceased from this? No, all three okay. children lived. Oh. Yeah, the kids lived. So Cynthia and Gerald were dead. They were pronounced Gosh, dead I on the scene. I love the name Gerald. Yeah, such a good name. Um, and the kiddos... They live in New York with their aunt, mm. and they the aunt has gone on record as saying something like, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but something like she doesn't bring it up to the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, sh- if they want to talk about it, they can talk about it. But they're, they're like, our age now. Yeah, they're in their right. 30s. Like, they're lucky they're, to have her, you know. Yeah, absolutely, to have somewhere that they could have gone to live away from this. Mm-hmm. Um Based off the crime scene, um, Jeffrey murdered his mother first by stabbing her with a rat tail file. He then attacked his sister with a hatchet, slashing at her throat and clubbing her. Then uh, he killed his father with a sledgehammer um, as his dad was coming into the house. And then he moved on to his younger brothers and attacked both of them with a hatchet. Right. Um, by the time officers had responded to the 911 calls, he'd already fled in a Blue Geo Metro. So they released an APB for him. Is that a car? 
Yeah, okay. the Blue Geo Metro, yeah. And okay. they released an all-points bulletin for him, and a police chase ensued um, throughout the neighborhoods of Southeast Huntsville. Wow. Which, Yeah, like from we the said, picture you painted, uh, it, that's just, uh, sleepy, pretty crazy. middle class. Um, they chased him um, up the mountain. Mm-hmm. He tried to run the officers off the road, and he succeeded once on Bailey Cove Road where he forced a patrol car um, onto the curb in front of Hope Presbyterian Church. And if you're from Huntsville, you're probably, you've got lights lighting up all in your head. Um, It stopped when Jeffrey crashed his car into a fence. Hmm. What made this kind of the case that you mentioned and people go, oh, yeah, that was really the scene of his arrest. Mm -hmm. Because when they caught him, he didn't have a shirt on. It was March. It was freezing. Huntsville gets a little bit colder than the rest of Alabama because it's got a lot of foothills. Yeah, more up north as well. Um, yeah, it's further north. Um, it was freezing cold, and he wasn't wearing a shirt, but he had a pinch fork, a pinch fork, a pitchfork, and a pentagram carved into his chest. And I say carved; it was really scratched. Like you can look up the pictures on Google a, if you need to. A pitchfork, like shape carved yeah like or a, scratched and then as well as the pentagram as well as the pentagram oh, okay. so like the pentagram's on his belly and the pitchfork's on his Interesting. chest he was screaming and um spitting on the media that was there mm-hmm. photographers and such um i don't know if i'd be one to try to take photos of being in the media in that situation That's yeah good. but at the same time yeah. like shit like this just doesn't happen up right. there like this is a huge deal they're so like some making some money with those shots so. making right. some money right so they found him on top of the mountain pentagram scratched into his chest pitchfork all that good stuff back at the house the crime scene was literally being demolished because they were trying to get in to get the kids they realized yeah. the kids were still alive so there was so much medical staff uh-huh. going in and out of the house leaving footprints it was pretty much kind of hard to tell exactly wrecked. yeah what happened um but as we will come to find out that didn't really matter because There were pages and pages and pages and pages, notebooks full of notes detailing his plans and drawings that Jeffrey wrote, Uh, yeah, about killing his family. Oh, okay. Premeditated? Um, Very premeditated. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a statement from Mac McCutcheon, who is a retired Huntsville Police Department investigator. He's the one that handled the investigation. Um, And he was the first one to arrive on the crime scene. He said that there was a massive amount of destruction and abuse to the family. He said, we had another officer there, and we were trying to secure the scene as well as get him and medical attention, paramedics, and for the kids because the siblings were still alive. Right. All because they thought that they were responding to one one kid. Right. You know, they only yeah. had one ambulance. Uh, one question I had. So the mm-hmm. kids were, like, injured, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Do you think he purposefully did not kill them? I mean. No, I think it was his intention to kill them. I think that he just fucked up and got scared. Yeah. Maybe it was just a bit much for him with the younger siblings i don't know it's just 
Yeah. Maybe more of the anger was targeted to the parents. Was- and that's really the question that I have that I don't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you have this rage towards these two people that's so intense that you're willing to bludgeon them to death. That's a very intimate, violent way to kill someone. Right. It makes me wonder, you know, what what could have happened, what that dynamic was like. Yeah. Like. And he was assessed mentally before this and just just diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah, just diagnosed with ADHD. I mean, if he, I mean, not all doctors in the world are great, but like. Probably would have caught, you know, I don't know. They it's just could have seen a better psychiatrist. Um, and we're going to talk yeah. about that in a second. We're going to talk about the riddle thing. And we're going to get on that tangent. Mm-hmm. Um, they found the pages of notes detailing his plans. And there were drawings. They were all stuffed into the speaker in his room. Um, the same room that his mother's body was found in. Mm-hmm. And trigger warning, I'm going to read a little bit of his notes. Um, so if you think this could be triggering to you. There's mentions of rape in it. Um, Go ahead and just skip forward 15 seconds, like two times. Um, He wrote, I know dad will be home at this time and I'm going to be. I'll wait by the front door behind the little hutch. I'll hit him with a hammer. Mom will be out on a walk. When she comes back, I'll have the radio playing loudly. I'll call mom in the room and ask her what's on the agenda for today. Then I'll kill her. And what about the brothers and sisters? Well, I'll take them. I'll strangle my little brother in his room, and I'll lure my other little brother into his room, and I'll strangle him. Then my sister, I will rape her, and I will finish her off. Even if they do catch me, I will plead insanity and fool those stupid judges and prosecutors. So... Hmm. you have this bulk of writing where he's admitting to his plan, to the Uh premeditation, to the crime. And it sounds insane. But he's trying to convince you that, or, 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 you know, convince the future judge and jury that, But I think to an extent, (laughs) to sound insane, you have to be sane. Like, if you're trying to, like, cognizantly, like, write this plan out, you have to have the forethought and the mental capacity to plan. Yeah, the whole pitchfork and uh, pentagram thing really, like, stick in my mind, too. It's just a... The Satan thing. Yeah. That's, yeah. Trying to scare the classmates, saying he's going to put spells on them and stuff. Uh, It's kind of hard to tell here with this guy if it's just. And that's my big question is, was the response to this, like, we're in 1998. Like, this is the height of satanic panic. Mm -hmm. Like, this is when everyone's willing to jump on the bandwagon of, you know, music and media being the influence for these satanic crimes. But this guy actually goes, comes forward and says that he was seeing a horned demon telling him to do these things. Right. So it brings the question, you know, we believe in stuff like this. We believe in spirits like this. Like, mm-hmm. is this a question of satanic panic or is this a question of the occult? Like, mm-hmm. 
did something actually happen that made him lose his mind? Or was it Ritalin? Because my yeah. conclusion is that it's just Ritalin. Like, yeah, I don't know if you've ever been prescribed speed before, but when you do that much of it, it has a very angry effect on you. And you stay up for days at a time doing way more than you're prescribed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this guy, Broussard, he was the acting DA um, in Huntsville at the time. Said that the writings were devil worship based. Heavy on the air quotes with that. Um, They were very violent. There were overtones of sexual nature throughout the material, and there were religious themes, sort of a kind of anti-God theme, he said, that runs through it. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was arrested, Jeffrey admitted to being in the house at the time of the attack, but didn't initially admit to attacking his family um, at his arraignment in Madison County, which most of Huntsville is Madison County. Um, he was charged with two counts of capital murder and three counts of attempted murder, and he entered a non-guilty plea, um, saying it was like some evil being with horns sticking out of his head and eyes had taken over his body. However, a couple years later, in 2001, um, he pled guilty yeah, to avoid the— admitted. No, or, he pled guilty um, to avoid the death penalty. Okay. Yeah. So he took a plea deal. um, Pled guilty on all counts and was sentenced to three life um, sentences to be served consecutively. Hmm. He has said in years since the attacks, I hope and pray that one day my family can forgive me for the things I have done. Praying. Yeah, he's a Christian Real now. Turn around already. He's a Christian now. Oh, okay. Reborn he became again. a Christian a couple months after he got arrested. <laughs> Don't they all? Um, <laughs> he well. said, uh, I hope and pray that one day my family can forgive me for the things I have done. And I know that may take a long time. I know that God has already forgiven me. Has he now? Oh, that's the comfort. So this is where we kind of get started on the riddle and argument here. Um, in the statement, the same statement where he asked for his family's forgiveness, he says, I told my doctor I was abusing Ritalin, but he continued to prescribe it to me in increasingly high doses, and I, in return, abused it in higher and higher doses. So he said that. He said that. That is coming from Jeffrey Franklin himself. Yeah. I mean, from the whole story, sounds believable. Um, Just from the facts of hearing about it. But at the same time, don't know if I trust the guy. Well, it makes a case for the plea of temporary insanity. Right. Drug-induced psychosis. Drug-induced psychosis, exactly. So he had three attorneys. He had this guy named Robert Tutton, Patrick Tutton, and mm-hmm. Leon Johnson. And their defense kind of hung on a psychiatrist's determination that Jeffrey was temporarily insane when he attacked the family. Um, Did they question the psychiatrist that he supposedly told he was abusing the medication that continued to give it to him in higher doses? Can't find anything that says that they did, but I didn't read court documents. Yeah. Um, 
They should have brought that guy in. I almost reached out <laughs> to his prosecutor yeah. um, because we have mutual friends on Facebook. Just by virtue of me growing up in Huntsville, right. I looked him up and almost reached out to him. And then, again, in an effort not to re-traumatize anyone, I decided not to. Right. Um, but they said that they took the plea deal because it was the best possible outcome. It would keep him from getting the death sentence. Um his defense attorney said just because he can stand up there in front of a judge and say yes does not mean he's all right now. Because a blood test that was done 12 days after his arrest showed 10 times the normal dose of Ritalin in his body. Oh, my God. 12 days. That's almost two weeks later. That shit does not hang around for long. Do you mean like they tested his system? I don't know why I was thinking dried blood situation. Um, no, no, they tested his blood like 12 days after oh, the thing, and my. he still had that much riddle in the system. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's, that's a, a lot. Yeah. That's a to be blunt, a lot. I think that the riddle in drug induced psychosis might be to blame here. Probably lack of sleep, too. So the DA Broussard said he's, that's the guy that's defending the state. So the prosecutor mm -hmm. said that he was familiar with the riddle and argument. He said, you hear riddle and abuse that produce this horrible result. And I've pondered it for 25 years. And I will admit that certain substance abuse will exacerbate what's already residing in somebody. So that does bring up an interesting thing that I want to talk about, which is like, I've done that much Adderall before and stayed up for that many days and I haven't killed anyone. Right. Like, you've got to have this underlying rage mm -hmm. and something had to have happened in that family. There's something else going on here that we don't know about because you don't just turn. I agree, and I don't mean to speculate or or cause any you know offense to anybody that lives in the area, went to the church he went to, or anything like that. But why does it feel so connected to the church he went to? To me, you know, uh, yeah, maybe something with that. Uh, yeah, and of course this is all conjecture, and I don't want to be sued for slander. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not accusing anyone of anything specific. I'm just saying that there has to be some trauma there, yeah. like, in this kid's life. Right. Um, it does not necessarily sound like it came from the parents. Um, he might have, you know, trauma X occurred. Parents tried to, you know, get a handle on him by maybe putting in some more rules, putting his drugs in a safe. And he, that just further made him angry at them and take all this out on them when it was something else that maybe stirred all of it up. Yeah, Broussard. It's the, hard to ever say. We never know, but. Yeah, Broussard, the, um, the prosecutor, uh, said uh, again, but when I will admit, I think it kind of greases the skids, so to speak. When somebody is of that nature and they're amped up on something, it's a bad deal. It's a powder keg, which is so fucking true. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this might, no pun intended, feed into your case a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know <laughs> the specifics of it, but I kind of know the gist. Yeah. Um, so... Just a little bit more about his writings. 
um, along with the drug abuse, they talk a lot about Satan and his hatred for the Catholic Church. Um, the cop, the main investigator on the case, McCutcheon, said he felt like he was doing what Satan wanted him to do. But on the flippy floppy, his defense said that the writings just kind of prove that he was doing this out of rebellion, like trying to make his parents mad because they were so staunchly Catholic. Right. Which makes sense. Being a bad kid. That yeah. makes sense, too. Um, Broussard, again, the prosecutor, um, describes how unique the case is. He says, and I think this really encapsulates, like, the Huntsville energy. I mean, I know this exists, and I know it's out there, but normally we do not see this connected. We do not normally... Do we see this connected to such a horrible series of murders? Right. So normally it's like you have the Satanism or you have the murders, but you don't see the two of them together. Mm -hmm. So he's in prison. He's in bed. Right up the road. He became a Christian a couple months after his arrest. Um, he's at the correctional facility. I looked him up. I almost reached out to him. Um, I decided... Not to. My therapist was like, why didn't you? I was like, I thought you would tell me not to, but apparently not. Yeah. Um, he applied for parole in 2016. Um, parole? Mm-hmm. He apply for parole 15 years well, after. I guess he was a born-again Christian. Yeah. Well, he's got contact with his family again, too. He's been writing them letters, mm -hmm. and the other kids have responded. The survivors have responded to him. Interesting, yeah. Um, I don't know the details of that. Yeah. Um, well, that's an idea, too, though. Uh, instead of going to see, you could write him. Yeah. See if he has any comments. I just don't know if I want to open that can of worms, but he... I could write him. I could... I, I looked Writing's for his email address. Um, I couldn't find it. I found his inmate number, but... Yeah. <laughs> another interesting little tidbit. He sold a painting that he made of Julianne Moore in prison mm -hmm. to Murder Memorabilia, which is a website that sells, like... They approach serial killers that are in prison and buy their artwork and resell it for insane values, but he sold it for $150. That makes me feel weird. <laughs> yeah, and then he got in a shit ton of trouble with the prison because prisoners aren't allowed to do that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. You're not supposed to be making money off of what you did. Yeah, so that's the case of Jeffrey Franklin. Um, it's really interesting. I'm going to post on our Instagram and in the show notes the pictures from his arrest. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see the... Uh, pitchfork thing yeah you can kind of see in his mugshots and his arrest just like him being completely cracked out mm -hmm. um yeah, 12 days after have 10 times the normal dose 10 times still, the normal dose that's um that's quite a lot it's quite quite a bit of ritalin and it's it's insane yeah um oh, mine mine's interesting because it really does kind of tie into some of the things we talked about but don't want to give it away, but there's no drugs involved in this. 
Oh, really? Yes. So the case I uh, am talking about when we discussed doing the podcast, um, and, and you just mentioned the motive thing, this video I watched a couple of years ago came to my mind. I like to get into those little YouTube docs um, of, you know, true crime stuff. And this one really, I remember, just was so wild to me. Um, and so I was like, I'll look back into that. And uh, the more I looked into it, I remembered how absolutely horrible this is. It is just, it's really intense. Um, and I wanted to preface saying, uh, so this happened in 2016, um, but there have been just so many psychological tests conducted and reconducted over time. He is still not, from what I can tell, officially convicted of these actual murders. However, a lot of the details were witnessed by police, so be using um, alleged with the murdering. Um, but because we don't want to get sued, we don't want to get sued. We never want to get sued. Never. Um, I did see something. So this is like very much ongoing. Um, I saw this one article and it was like in Korean. So I, I, you know, did you um, Google translate it? Well, I opened it and the the link wouldn't work and it, it was strange. So, uh, but it's, you know, came up on Google and it said that he was convicted, uh, but I'm not going to take this as fact because I wasn't able to read it um, this past month, December 2021. Um, but because of Holy the shit. shades of uncertainty, I'm just going to stick with the the allegedness of it. Um, so talking about Austin Haroof, um, he's a 19-year-old student at Florida State University. Uh, and allegedly, he repeatedly stabbed a couple uh, in Florida and then attempted to eat the male victim's face in what was called a random attack. Uh, the victims were Michelle Michon, little rhymy name, 53 years old, and John Stevens, 59 years old. Uh, this all took place in DeCesta, Florida. Uh, ultimately, the victims did both pass away from the wounds. Um, and then also kind of similar to your story, a neighbor showed up um, when everything started to go down. His name was Jeff Fisher. He was stabbed five times, but he survived. Uh, but he's the one that made the 911 call. Holy shit. Um, when the police got to the scene, Haroof was on top of the male victim, Stevens, um, biting chunks out of his face. Specifically, had both hands in his mouth, ripping at pieces of his cheeks. Oh, my God. Um, he was growling and making animal noises. Holy um, shit. He was shot with a stun gun and attacked multiple times or, you know, had a canine uh, dog. Um, sent on him multiple times. What the uh, fuck? And those, all of that was initially unable to stop him. He continued to rip at the cheeks and try to eat the victim's face. Oh so, my God. Yeah. There is this video released by the state attorney's office of um, a man named, who's a deputy, de deputy Trocan. He recalls the whole confrontation. It's a really interesting video if you want to look it up. Um, it shows the, the actual like garage where all of this took place. Um, and the, the police officers explaining exactly like what would happen, what happened when he got there. What do I Google to look that up? Um, Austin Haroof, uh, probably like deputy Trocan, T R O C A N. Um, deputy Trocan. Tro. But the, this video and the way the, 
the deputy is describing it. I mean, it sets in what a struggle it was to get this guy under any kind of control. Um, Michonne, the the female victim, uh, she was deceased upon their arrival. But Stevens, the guy who was having his face ripped at, was still alive, according to Deputy Trocan. And he was trying to speak. And Trocan said he could hear him softly asking for help as Haruf was attempting to, like, shred his face and eat it. Um, And the deputy thoroughly describes kicking and bashing. And he does, like, examples of how he was kicking this guy's face and could not do anything about it. He just, it wasn't affecting him at all. It was, like, some type of superhuman strength. Um, Then they hit him with the stun gun. No effect at all. They released the canine dog, and it was able to... It bit his arm, um, ripped his arm off the victim's face, and he ripped his arm back out of the dog's mouth and went right back to it. That happened three times that the dog was released on him and pulled his arm back, and he just pulled it out of the dog's mouth. Holy shit. Uh, Have you ever been bitten by a dog before? Oh, okay, I, I see the not. garage now. I have not, but I know that's like, so especially I- police dogs, they're trained to... I mean, really bite into <laughs> I used to work at a doggy daycare. I've been bitten by a lot of dogs. Like, I've been bitten by, like, 120-pound American bulldog named Honey that was not very sweet. She mm-hmm. bit my leg once. Not sweet, Honey. Not sweet, Honey. <laughs> and it is scary. It's the scariest thing in the world yeah. because it's not – it's like getting a snake bite. Like, you have snakes, so you understand mm-hmm. what it's like when they strike at you. It's not – that it hurts, it's that it's scary. It's scary, yeah. It's really, really scary. Mm -hmm. And I think about it all the time with my dogs. Like, I'll be cuddling them, and I'll be like, you could turn on me at any moment and, like, rip my throat out. Right, and there's the the difference between, like, the defensive bites of animals and the attacking, and that's what the police ones are trained to do. And aren't they all German shepherds? Um, Or, like, most of them? Yeah, I think Belgian Malinois, I think, are trained to be police dogs sometimes, too. But, like, German Shepherds, yeah, are the most popular canine dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, When they finally were able to shackle this guy, which it took four deputies to, like, eventually, finally pry this guy off of this guy's face. uh Uh-huh. He screamed. Like, the, the deputy was talking about how he was screaming, and it just was, like, Blood-curdling screams, kill me, I'm eating people, is what he was saying. Um, Holy shit. So, obviously, he was, like, severely injured from the sun gun, hella bites from dogs, bruises. Um, It was questionable if he was going to survive after they finally got him off. Um, And then they got him to the hospital. He was conscious but in critical condition, and they put him into a sedation. They think that he drinks... I read something that said they think he drank something inside of this couple's garage that damaged his organs. But to date, it's unknown what he ingested, if anything. I assume the hospital just noticed his internal organs were damaged, and that's why they think he drank something in there. Um, As he was being taken to the hospital, he reportedly said that he, he told the the paramedics, that he ate something bad. And they asked him what it was, and he said, humans. <laughs> no fucking way! Yeah. yeah, I would say it's a... He ate something bad, brother. <laughs> oh, my God! Yeah. You gotta be kidding me! Um, And then, this is just, like, a weird side fact that I thought was kind of comical um, in light of the, all of this. 
Uh, three months after the attack, well, while he was in jail, the people for the ethical treatment of animals sent a letter to the Martin County Sheriff's Office asking that he be put on a vegan diet <laughs> while, uh. while he's in jail, um, which I, I don't really think that's going to fix much. <laughs> I don't think that's um, going to fix him, but... So it, another interesting thing about it, so he did not know this couple at all. Um, okay. I'm going to get into like how, you know... Everything happened, but it, it was, they called it a random attack, and it really was a random attack. Um, and uh, one of the Martin County sheriffs told the press, one of the first things we try to do at a crime scene is understand the motive of the offender. In this case, we cannot establish a motive. It is simply, quote, I do not know. Um, but yeah, these folks were just sitting in their garage with the garage door open and lawn chairs enjoying their evening. And I'll get more into who they were. Um, but yeah, so he facing two counts of first degree murder with a weapon uh, for the deaths of Mission and Stevens and a burglary charge of a dwelling with assault or battery while armed for breaking into their garage and one attempted first degree murder with a weapon for attacking and injuring the neighbor. Um, the burglary thing is kind of interesting to me. It's just because he went into their house. Yeah. Um, and the weapons weren't really that clear. Uh, the deputy describes a knife with a red handle, but it's not said if he had that on him or if he just like got that out of their garage. Yeah. And then there was also just a pair of scissors um, at the crime scene. They don't know yeah. what or if that was used. So, like, you know, the question is, like, why why did he do this? Uh, where'd this come from? Yeah. And despite what you're thinking... This had nothing to do with bath salts or any drugs at all. You've got to be kidding me because, like, we barely, 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 barely mentioned this to each other. Like, we were trying to keep it, like, kind of a secret mm -hmm. from, like, what we were doing this week. Like, the details, at least. Yeah. And I was just convinced, like, all of the cannibalism cases that I've heard in the last couple of years have to do bath with bath salts. Salt. Right. So I was and like, this, this happened the during, bath salt during the height of that. Um, because there weren't ult like any other bath salt cases of people trying to eat people. Yeah. Um, like during this time in Florida. And it was also during, I don't know if you knew about like the Flaca outbreak. It was like a designer drug. It was also making people eat people actually went around Montgomery for a while, and in my neighborhood, uh, somebody was high on Flocka and was naked and busted through somebody's glass front door. No way. Yeah, it makes people act uh, act up, you know, <laughs> pretty crazy. Um, but Flocka was, like, really going big in Florida at this time, too. So, um, you know, immediately that's what they thought it was. Uh, but they did a toxicology report, and the only thing in his system was trace amounts of marijuana. Um, no we evidence. We did it. Weed. <laughs> it was the it was weed. The weed. Uh, but they officially ruled out a drug-induced psychosis. Um, there was evidence and people, you know, by mouth saying uh, that he used Adderall and Vyvanse at times. But, you know, at the same time, you got to think this guy was a college student. And He's maybe, a college maybe that was just student, yeah. normal. It wasn't uh, noted that it was anything super abnormal like the Ritalin uh, situation you described. Um, people also noted that he had taken mushrooms before, but again, none of this was in his system. Yeah, at the, the time. talk train just came back with pot. Right? Yeah. Trace, I mean, trace how amounts as if he had smoked like uh, a while back. And I did read that he had a habit of 
having a lot of trouble sleeping. So he used weed to sleep. He yeah. talked about that himself to his doctor at some point. Uh, at, well, not at some point, after the arrest. Uh-huh. And he said but it was something that he didn't do very regularly and had really cut back on. Yeah. Um. So just some information about Who doesn't, the dude. I smoke weed to help me sleep. Right, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's <laughs> I smoke weed super, to help me brush my it's teeth. It's nothing super crazy. It's like... I mean, this guy had, like, superhuman strength. Strength. I mean, yeah, strength where does that shit come from? Showing and this guy's face who's still alive. Like, fugue states. I'm thinking, like, okay, have you seen the United States of Tara? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know how when she goes into her fugue states, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, she goes into some fugues where she gets, like, altered, altered it's strength. Like- it's, yeah, about, it's about someone with DID, just associative identity disorder, where she has multiple personalities that she can assume because of sustained childhood sexual trauma. And it makes me think, like, that's a characteristic of DID. When you go into your primal state, you have the super strength. Right. People are reported as having, like, twice the strength. It's also something that is really symptomatic of possession and that if we want to go into a paranormal theory with this story like what yeah i mean <laughs> it's a it's a wild one especially i highly recommend like looking up this um video if anybody's listening and interested in this particular case uh, of the specific specifically of the the deputy that's like describing the scene and describing everything they did to get him off um, so, I mean, he just talks, he shows himself just like bashing his foot. He was like, I did this like six or seven times and then we release the dog and I'm still kicking his face. Um, they did have him, they had a gun pointed at him, but they didn't want to shoot because the guy underneath him was still alive. Yeah. Um, but he did end up succumbing to the injuries and they could see stab wounds all over him. Um, so he did pass. Jesus. Okay. Uh, but it's unfortunate he had to be alive for his face being... Trying to be eaten. And he was kind of like, specifically the the officer described like he was ripping the cheek skin like apart. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is just some background on on Austin Haroof. He had what was described as a great upbringing. So, you know, we we just really never know what might have happened or what, you know, anything. Um, His parents were a dentist and a pharmacist. Uh, so he was a sophomore in college at the time, majoring in exercise science uh, at, at FSU. He was big into football and sports, always a football player. He had hoped to enroll pre-med and took his college entry test um, three or more times to improve his scores. He was really academic, um, really kind of normal guy described by people around him. So the him. exact opposite of Jeffrey Franklin. <laughs> yeah, like all Polar of kind of... Um, didn't start showing up until right before it happened. Uh, he loved science, but he also like thoroughly described himself as a creative. He liked to write um, that kind of stuff. Uh, there was actually a Dr. Phil interview done with his father. Um, his father described him as an extremely nice, gentle person who cared so much about people. And he said something just went drastically wrong. Um, another important thing, Austin Roof had no criminal record. He had never done yeah. anything, you know, <laughs> before. Um, a former teammate 
uh, or in his high school football team, was quoted to say that he could not even believe that Haruf would attack someone. Um, and he was six foot tall, 200 pounds. Uh, previous football coaches explained that they had a difficult time even getting him to play angry or aggressively. And they quoted and said he didn't have it in him to play Jesus. aggressively in football. Um, and then this previous teammate said, literally, he said, I never would have thought he would even hurt a fly. Um, so he was on summer break when all of this happened after his sophomore year. Uh, and his be behavior was described by his family to be becoming suddenly unusual and erratic, nonsensical to the point they were just starting to consider having him evaluated for his mental health. Unfortunately, it didn't happen yeah, soon enough. Um, but he was saying weird things that didn't make sense and uh, talking about immortality and, and being half animal, which I'm going to get into because the, the half animal thing is an uh, interesting part of this. Um, yeah, he went from being described as a normal, maybe just quirky teenager to a teenager making claims of immortality and being half animal rather quickly based on interviews with friends and family. Um, okay. It was also noted that I saw somewhere that it said a few days before the crimes, his sister said that he walked in front of a moving car. And I also read something else that said it was that day his sister said he walked in front of a movie car. I don't know if it happened so that he day. he was showing or, some serious signs of mental before. illness. Right. But none of it seemed to happen. Until directly Until before. like this summer break. And he started acting a little weird. Remind and me again. I'm ignorant. How old was he? He was 19. 19. Okay. So he had just graduated high school. Yeah. He was sophomore in college. Sophomore in yeah. college. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. he must have been a little young for his year. He was a smart guy. Yeah, um, I mean, he was trying like to it. be pre-med, and he was doing, like, sounds like sports science to me. Um, wow. So there's, thought this was interesting as well. They they released the phone calls that he made from prison um, to his family uh, in June of 2017, and they displayed, like, a range of emotions from being apologetic about the situation to being worried and sad about what he did, and then he would also just joke with his parents and complain about how bored he was sitting in jail. Um, so... That's bizarre. What happened from his account, because uh, they the defense had, you know, a psychiatrist um, come in, so he spoke with this doctor a lot. Um... But basically, so what happened leading up to this scene was about less than an hour before the attack, he uh, abruptly left a dinner with his father, and it was very, like, a strange way he left. He, like, stormed out because the service familiar. was taking too long. This sounds familiar. I yeah. think, like, the bits and pieces I've heard about this case, that was one right. of the bits. It was odd that... To, to the to his dad, and I think he was also there with his father's girlfriend. Um, that he it was just like a weird way he just yeah. left. Um, he ended up walking himself to his mother's home, where he acted extremely strange. He freaked his mother out. He drank a bunch of vegetable oil. Um, yeah. And then his mom's like, "I don't want to deal with this. I guess I don't know." Um, and she just drove him back to the restaurant with his dad. Um, and then they proceeded to get into an argument about him leaving the restaurant in the first place. Uh, and he later told the doctor, um, the the defense hired psychiatrist, that he ran out of the restaurant and, quote-unquote, followed the stars. 
So after leaving the restaurant, he walked for several miles aimlessly and ended up in this neighborhood where the victims live. Uh, He told the psychiatrist that was hired, Dr. Resnick, that he had no memory of going to his mother's house, but he did say he saw a figure having a white face and black clothes that scared him and made him walk aimlessly around, and he was kind of running from this thing. Uh, He told the doctor that he saw a well-lit garage and went to ask for help, but when Miss Mrs. Michon, the woman victim, she screamed because I guess he looked pretty scary. Uh, He became further frightened and he thought she was a witch. Uh, He reported to Dr. Resnick that he remembered holding the knife, stabbing into just pure darkness and seeing a glowing man. He also did tell Dr. Resnick when he was biting the man, he thought he was a dog. It he is, thought um, the, which no, he thought he was a dog. Yes. Oh, okay. no, he, he yeah, thought, he the thought man himself was a dog. Was a dog like, uh-huh. and that's actually a particular um, condition I'm about to mention, where you think you're half animal. Is it like lupus? No, no, that's no, no, no. an immune disorder. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> not lupus. Lup- lupine mania. Um, and it's noted in the original report that Doctor Resnick note wrote um, prior to speaking to Haruf. Uh, which he ended up speaking to him for six hours for the initial evaluation. But before that, he said he thought it was possible that he'd made up his mental illness. Uh, But after talking to him, he entirely believed the illness was the case and was to blame his mental illness. Um, In his 28-page mental health assessment, Resnick wrote that Haruf showed signs of something called, I'm going to try to pronounce this, clinical lycanthropy delusions. Delusions. So clinical lycanthropy is defined as a rare psychiatric syndrome where the affected person can transform into a non-human animal. It's nicknamed the werewolf syndrome. Um, This syndrome is an offshoot of other mental disorders like schizophrenia. Uh, So in addition to the weirdness right before the attack, hours leading up to this restaurant fiasco, friends and family reported that he was acting strangely, saying he'd become immortal and he was had been trying to test his powers is what the friends were saying. Um, But I couldn't find anything about what they meant by he was trying to test these powers. Uh, His Google searches leading up to the days of the attack included uh, questions of needing sleep, how to know if you're going crazy, quote unquote, white magic and a few other topics. Holy shit. The how to know if you're going crazy is an interesting one to me because you I know. don't want anyone to ever look at my Google searches because, <laughs> <laughs> because how to know if you're going crazy would be like the least of their worries. I, it's just I've always thought like, that. you know, crazy people don't know that, that they're, they're going, going crazy. crazy. But like we I know, I'm not earlier, trying to say yeah. that he's not. But I um, just think that's, you know, he seemed semi, you know, aware of. But that's also like a function of losing your mind it's all and i talk about this with my therapist a lot it's all a gradient like this is all on a scale and so there is a point like with alzheimer's where you know you're cognizant enough to realize that you're losing certain abilities right like you're cognizant enough to realize that things aren't mm -hmm. exactly quite right it's not like you wake up one day and you have schizophrenia. Like, yeah, you. It's it's a very gradual display of symptoms, and 
And he was at the age of onset of a lot of these really, you know, more serious disorders. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I think about with the Jeffrey Franklin case as well. Like, 17 is the age where, Mm -hmm. like, your frontal lobe is starting to develop. And so, like, all of these abnormalities come forth. Like, it's not... I kind of agree with the police investigator on that case. Like, it's not a stretch of the imagination to believe that you have something residing within you and it can be flipped, like the switch can be flipped. I just wonder, with this guy, what was the switch? Like, what about these people made him say, oh, that face looks so fucking good, ma. Well, see, I... (laughs) From what he describes to the doctor and, like, who knows from his account if he's trying to lean more towards being acquitted for account of insanity. Um, Yeah. Which apparently is semi-hard to get in Florida because they had to do so many evaluations on this guy. I mean, they're still happening. That's why he hasn't been convicted. You remember in the 90s when Florida and Texas were, like, in a war for who could like kill the most prisoners like with the death penalty like they were fighting to see who could execute the most prisoners i know about that yeah in texas great documentary called crazy not insane you can find on hbo this woman kind of posits the same ideas that we're kind of positing here that traumatized people do traumatizing things Mm -hmm. um but yeah, we're not going to take a stance right now on any of that. But, right. Uh, so, yeah, his lawyers, like, immediately began to signal that they were going to try to have him acquitted by reason of insanity. Um, but for this, by def- definition of the state of Florida, uh, he must convince a judge or jury that he didn't know what he was doing during the time of the murders or that he didn't know it was wrong and couldn't appreciate the consequences of his actions. Then under several, several psychiatric tests, um, I read ones from 2019 to 2020. And again, they all met this criteria, um, but for whatever reason, it's just continuously being re-brought into, into question, uh, even up until September of 2021. Uh, state experts were wanting to reevaluate him. Couldn't find anything finalized on this one from September, but... There were just so many over time. They all seem to have the same outcome. Yeah. Um, once he... And this is such a recent case, yeah. too. Like, well, I mean, it's 2016, so it's, uh, you know... The litigation is six, ongoing. Six like, years ago, but they're just trying to figure out, is this, you know, guy crazy or, or, or what? Um, and then it, it's odd, too. There doesn't seem to be, like, a super clear diagnosis of anything specific. Um, some reports said... Bipolar with psychotic features. Um, He went through a period of ranging moods a week prior to the crime. His father told Dr. Resnick that he was previously medicated twice for bipolar uh, and that there was a family history of depression and schizophrenia. However, I... Oh, my God. There's a family history of schizophrenia? I looked into it, though, and couldn't... I didn't see anything direct about any family member uh, being diagnosed with saying it. But like, his dad has been very defensive of him the whole really? time. Really? Okay, that's interesting. But uh, that's like such a strong link. That disease I is so genetic. Right, right. And that, I think it probably is the case because, you know, I don't know. It, 
what else can you say it was? I, um, they found in one of his journals from shortly before this happened, he wrote, people might think I'm crazy and that's okay. I get that. I see we are all different. Wow. That's kind of a lot like uh, the Jeffrey but, Franklin bits. Right. He had no premeditated plan. He wasn't a violent person. This was just purely like out of nowhere. And I think it was just a true psychosis. It gave him that superhuman strength and all of that. And it's just it's very sad. Um, so right, really sad. right now, currently, he's being medicated and treated for schizophrenia at the Martin County Jail. Um, the court has yet to rule him legally insane despite these years of free testing and essentially still getting the same results. However, if he's ever actually deemed legally insane, he will be involuntarily admitted to a mental hospital to um, mm -hmm. serve the time or whatnot. Currently, his doctors um, have noted that they believe he's a danger to himself and others because of his illness. Yeah. But, yeah, who knows? And it's really hard to think about, like, a 19-year-old, like, okay, he has his first episode of mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know what that diagnosable mental illness is. And, like, we're not going to sit here. We're not doctors. We're not going to diagnose yeah. him with anything. But, like, he's showing symptoms of schizophrenia, showing symptoms of DID, like, and then he goes straight into prison and is put in a really traumatizing, stressful situation. Trying to evaluate someone psychologically like that, like right. you have to consider what they were like before this thing happened. Kind of wanted to end with something that sat with me that was said by a family member of the victims. So it was the, the daughter of John Stevens, um, a stepdaughter of woman. Her name is Ivy. She released one single statement since their deaths, and she said, quote, My hope is that one day when I think of them, I can veer my focus off the brutality of their murders and have happy memories instead, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. That's pretty rough, you know? Um, that's really hard. Understandable. I mean, like, how can you separate the crime from the tragedy? Like, it, You can't. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. Remembering your loved ones. Um, I said, this is a sad case, obviously, for many reasons. Um, but from my opinion, it seems to me this guy was extremely sick. Um, did want to note, too, that I read several notes that were all similar from various doctors evaluating him that all said, mentally ill people are no more likely to commit crimes, especially such as these, as anyone else. I do think in this case, severe mental illness is to blame. Um this is obviously a jarring crime. People just don't know what to think. But I think it's just important to note that, like, people have mental illness. They don't go chew people's faces off all the time. Yeah, I have you mental know. illness. I mean, we bring this up a lot, like, and we will bring this up a lot. But that's, like, part of my personality and part of my drive to get into this podcast and is in response to kind of the way that other podcasts treat mental illness mm -hmm. because we bring up, you know, borderline personality disorder, which I have, and we bring up bipolar and we bring up schizophrenia and we bring up DID and we talk about these people like they're spectacles when they're you and I. Like, exactly. They're exactly. just fucking people 
that have gone through right. some shit. It's unfortunate in the news that, you know, these types of things make mentally ill people just look scary and that it shouldn't be the face of mental illness. This is just a particularly it wild be card. The eaten face of mental right. illness. But, uh, I mean, the no drugs in the system... That's the most interesting part of this to me. I and mean, it's just, it was just really out of his mind. And he was a guy with a promising future and just snapped. And um, it, it sounds like he was terrified and horrified. Um, and he's, you know, released a few statements. And there's a lot of videos of him talking after the fact. He's like 24 now, I believe. Um, or maybe older than that. I watched one from when he was 24 and he's extremely apologetic. And he, he said, I don't know why this happened. I can't believe this happened. And he doesn't, you know, seem to to understand. But yeah, that's that one. So that was a crazy nutso story. Right. Like I just can't fathom how quickly we're able to like change from ourselves into something else, like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and the whole the the whole Google search from being like how how to know you're going crazy. I think he was probably scared of what was happening in his mind at the time, and it just really came out of nowhere. Yeah. Versus your case, uh, he thought all that out and. He really considered it, like, yeah. those writings and that, like, documentation that he had is just so key to me, like, he mm. thought that shit through. He knew when people were coming home, where they were going to be, where to find them, what he was going to use, and... His statements nowadays being like, I'm not really a bad person. I'm just some someone that something bad happened to mm-hmm. really make me wonder what else is there? Like, what else was going on right. that, that made you that made you snap? Whereas in your case, I can see really clearly that this is a really sick person mm-hmm. that's just hurting that needs... Yeah, I mean, and it's quite possible it was triggered by some type of event or previous thing in life. Um, yeah, or stress. And, you know, they mentioned the the family history of mental illness, but I struggled to find much on anybody in his family being that severe. So, you know, that's just a interesting thing to think about. And uh, also the fact that you know, the police officer said when he got there and they finally got him into the shackles, he was screaming, I'm eating people. Please kill me. Please kill me. Like, he knew what he was doing and he knew it was wrong and he was terrified of himself. Yeah. Yeah, he was scared. And I think in the reverse, when Jeffrey Franklin got arrested, just spitting at the photographers, screaming obscenities, mm-hmm. like... You had a really empathetic boy that did a bad thing, and then you had a really bad boy that did a bad thing that now is craving empathy. It's strange, but yeah, that's the crazy, fucked up, twisted world that we live in. A lot of the family members of um, the victims, in in my case, 
understandably, you know, of course, they describe describe him as a total monster. Um, and they want to see, like, the worst possible outcome for him. Um, so it's, it's hard to imagine it from their eyes, you know. But It is. I, I can't imagine what I would think if someone did that to someone that yeah. I love. I'm not trying to give him uh, too much sympathy here, but I'm trying to, uh, you know, note that. There's a line to draw in the sand yes. where um, he did do, you know, something tremendously awful and people deserve to have room for their feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's feelings are valid. And if if something like this happened to me, I don't know how I would feel. I don't know where I would put my feelings. Um, right. I know that there would be a lot of anger there, and I wouldn't be able to intellectualize it like I am from a third-person perspective in mm-hmm. situations like this. So, yeah. I feel like that's just the gist of it. I agree. Well. Sad cases. Sad cases sad, this week. Yeah, people. Um, it's been real. Uh talking about these sad teenage boys. I promise it's not always going to be this depressing. Next week I've got um something real real fun real yeah. fun for us. It's it's got its own overtones. It's more spooky than mm-hmm. anything else. Um until until then, you until can time. follow us on Instagram at two blunt broads. You can follow us uh, on Twitter at Two Blunt Broads. You can email us. Please email us if you have any fun stories that you want to share. Any input about anything we've talked about. I'd love to hear it. Love to share it. Ghost stories, responses. If you're pissed off at something that we said, please Please don't respond. Oh. Oh, I would like to know. (laughs) If I piss somebody off, just tell me. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and uh, follow us on Spotify if you'd like. Um, please do that. That would really help us, you know, get things, get the ball rolling for us. Would mean a lot. We're working on a Patreon, so keep your ears perked for that. Um, and until next time, we're we're two blunt broads, mm-hmm. and we love you big. Love you big. Okay, bye. Peace.